It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hello, you're listening to Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim. And in this episode, we're talking Halloween Ends, the epic finale in the 13-film franchise, plus all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. Now, in Halloween Ends, it brings the hugely popular decades-long Halloween horror franchise to a close and sees Laurie Strode face off for the last time against the embodiment of evil, Michael Myers, in a final confrontation where only one of them will survive. Halloween Ends is directed by David Gordon Green, who has helmed all three in this series, from a screenplay by Paul Brad Logan, Chris Bernier, Danny McBride, and David Gordon Green, based on characters that were originally created by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. Halloween Ends stars, of course, the icon, the legend, the one we all love, Jamie Lee Curtis, Andy Matichak, Rowan Campbell, Will Patton, Carl Richards and James Jude Courtney. Now, before we jump into this review, don't forget to check out our interviews with the Halloween End stars Andy Matichak and Kyle Richards over on YouTube. They give some really interesting insights into the film. They sure do. Definitely worth a watch. Now, Lee, okay, here we are. 13 films, 
44 years. I cannot believe it's been that long, right? Yep. Countless murders too. This is it. (laughs) Countless murders. Oh gosh, countless. Many interpretations, of course, of the Michael Myers legend with countless reboots and reimaginings over the decades. But we've finally found ourselves at the end, haven't we? Yeah, we have. And this is the final face-off between Michael and Laurie as they keep battering home in every piece of marketing that they've put out for this film. Only (laughs) one of them will survive. Who will it be? It's been drilled into us. Who will it be? We're not going to tell you. Yes, let's just preface with this episode, listener, that this will be a no-spoiler review. Now, Mm. we were talking about this earlier, Lee, because you saw it before me because you had to interview Carl Richards and Annie Matichek, and I only saw it. Because I'm the coolest. (laughs) La-di-da. And I only saw it very, very recently, Mm -hmm. and I thought, gosh, are we going to have to make this a spoiler episode? This is before I'd seen the film. And I I said no. How are we going to get around it? And, And Lee said no, and now I get it. We have plenty to talk about here without spoiling anything yes. so we're excited for you to go yeah. on this journey with us i guess we can start by saying the halloween franchise is one of the top 10 longest running film franchises of all time you mentioned 13 films 44 years mm. it's certainly the longest running horror franchise saw doesn't even beat it right there you go stands above saw there's been three sets of sub series that branch off the original plus a standalone reboot That was like two films done by Rob Zombie in 2007, 2009, which people seem to want to forget even happened. Have you watched them? I did back in the day. I mean, it was only about 13 years ago, something like that, just more Mm. than a decade ago. Yeah, I mean, okay, what compels Michael Myers? It's changed throughout all these iterations, right? Yes, it has. Have you watched most of the films? Look, I've seen the original 1978 film. I haven't seen Halloween 2 or The Witches 1 or The Return of Michael Myers or all those sorts of things. I've dabbled in, in my, I guess, teenage years and my early 20s, mm. the Halloween H2O or Halloween Resurrection. Yeah. And I currently have the first Rob Zombie movie continue watching with about an hour to go because I tell you what, fuck me. Like, I can't <laughs> get through it. It's so intense. Is it? And I yeah. don't think it's all that great. But, of course, I've seen all three of the latest yeah. iteration of the franchise that David Gordon Yeah. So in terms of what compels Michael Myers, Rob Zombie's remake gave him a traumatic childhood and some personality Mm. disorders, right? So he he fucked in the head. And then David Mm. Gordon Green suggests that he's a reflection of the ugly town and one feeds the other. So his evil deed fed the town starting to turn against each other. And then that made him even more able to kill people and you're like it, it fed off each other yeah there was one movie where he was also possessed by the curse of an evil cult okay that one was called the curse of michael myers which is quite All right that sounds interesting yeah and then in halloween 2 which carpenter has said he actually regrets laurie mm. is actually revealed to be michael's little sister right yeah and he's hunting down his entire family that was his motivation in the second right. film and beyond. Well, the only consistency here is the inconsistency <laughs> in the yes. mythology and legacy of the Michael Myers character. Yeah. That is so interesting. I think another layer of the David Gordon Green franchise is that, and Laurie talks about this, I think in the first one back mm. in 2018 and also Halloween Kills, that there must be a supernatural element to Michael Myers mm. because how can he not die? How can he keep yeah. going? What is driving him? And there's this just pure evil. He is evil mm. incarnate. And they do touch on that a little bit in this final 
film, which we'll dive into a bit more, but also they touch on the fact that, you know, is he hunting her because she got away? Mm. And because in the first film she was so determined to catch him and kill him. And is that why the townsfolk are sort of turning against her in this one? There's, there's a couple of scenes where the townsfolk are really angry with her and I think that's strange. Yes, because they're blaming her for the fact that Michael Myers had this desire to kill and terrorise the mm. town because he was trying to find her because it was unfinished business. Yeah, like everyone was collateral damage because he was after her, which I don't think is the case. No. You know, he was pretty indiscriminate about who he murders, at least in this continuation. Yeah, you only have to look at him funny and your <laughs> head is on a pole. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> like anywhere and just throw it like a javelin or something. Yeah. yeah, He he doesn't really have to think twice about fucking you up, does he? <laughs> so this film, David Gordon Green's trilogy, is a direct continuation of the original Halloween and it ignores all lore, all theories since then. Yeah, it kind of plays with what you, I guess, are to expect from where this story would lead, doesn't mm, it? Th- yeah. This film specifically, which we'll dive into soon. So in terms of the story, in Halloween Ends, okay, it's four years after the mob event and the killings of 2018, Laurie's living her best life, isn't she? Mm. She's cooking, she's writing her memoir, she's being funny, she's having a grand old time. <laughs> Despite there being a mass murderer still on the loose, she's decided, nah, I'm not going to worry about that too much. Yeah, and apparently it only takes... Four years, whereas the last time, like in 2018, when we meet her, she is not okay. She is so mentally unstable. She is terrified that Michael will return one day and she'd spent the last 40 years with that mindset. So it's actually quite nice and refreshing that in between Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, she's kind of gone, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to just live my life. Yeah, it was kind of a nice touch, but was it believable? I mean, in Halloween Kills, she lost her daughter. I don't know if it's believable, but I can't say because I've never been pursued personally by a supernatural killer for four decades, you know. It seems like, (laughs) (laughs) thankfully, it seems like she's she's well shot of being afraid. She doesn't want it anymore. She just wants to knit. She wants to be a cool granny to Alison. She's she's done. She just wants to knit. (laughs) (laughs) Bake pies. I love that, Lee, that you just like, sorry, Laurie Strode, can't relate to your plot. (laughs) Can't relate to what you're going through. This this Halloween movie is so unrelatable. I mean, look, if you're going in to watch this movie and sit there and and hope that someone, some reality shakes you and (laughs) makes this feel real, then you're in the wrong fucking film. (laughs) I take that on board. I take that on board. Yeah. Um, You know what? No matter how this film ended, and we won't reveal how it ends, it was going to divide audiences. Oh, yeah. If Laurie dies, there's riots in the streets. If Michael dies... It's too obvious because that's what happens every single time. If neither of them dies, then they're all big liars with the pants on fire. What a cop out that would be, <laughs> yeah. the fandom would say. Exactly. So it's it's a really tough line to walk for the filmmakers. Now, I want to talk about the opening of this film. Are you ready to talk about this yep. just briefly? Jump from the end to the opening. Yeah, jump from the end to the opening. Yeah. That's what we're about here. Now, the film opens, of course, on Halloween yep. night, but in 2019, so which is a year after the devastating events of Halloween and Halloween Kills, the first two films in this new iteration mm. of the story, where Michael Myers has has vanished. Yep. At the end of Halloween Kills, he just vanished. No one knows where he's been. It's been four years, like you said. But this is where we're introduced to Corey Cunningham, who's played by Rowan Campbell, and he's babysitting for a couple who are off heading to a Halloween party. I will just add, this actually starts a year after Michael's disappeared. 
Yes, yeah. that's correct. Yeah, so not four years. We, we jump back in time just a little bit and it's just a year after Michael's gone missing. Yeah, the film opens with a bloody shocking sequence, like really confronting. Wow. Uh, involving a child. It's intense. I'm not sure we've ever seen anything like that in this franchise before. No, I would go so far as to say it has to be one of the most shocking opening scenes mm. that I've ever seen in a film because, to pull on the words you mentioned before, it's so unexpected and shocking. It grabs your attention. Mm. And it's not the traditional opening you might expect from a Halloween film. And therein lies the difference that this film sets up yeah. right out of the opening gates, that this is not what you think it's going to be. And I will say it's a strong opening. Like it really hit me in the face and made me go, oh, okay, this is what we're in for. Yeah. I was hooked. I was literally hooked. Yep. I just don't know how long it kept me hooked yeah. in there though after that. It was so strong. You think, gosh, they've got to go really fucking hard here to yeah. make this work. Unfortunately, they don't. I did find mm. that opening interesting though because it flips the script on the usual babysitter death narrative <laughs> and can't say too much about that, but it really turns it on its head and I quite enjoyed that. Then it moves on from there and I will say this for the film, okay, the character development is more present in this film than it was in Halloween Kills. But it's a real stretch connecting any of their motivations within the story. Mm. So Laurie is just living her life. She's having a great time. She's decided to to put it all behind her. Alison is still struggling with the trauma. She's lost her mother, her father, her boyfriend. She's really mm. lost it all. And understandably, it's all just beneath the surface and she's – wanting to break out of Haddonfield. She wants to she wants some freedom. You know, she meets this character Corey, falls for him. Let's let's actually talk about that for a second, okay? This love story. At the heart of this film mm. is love. There is a lot of love. Which is one of those really unexpected things that you don't see coming in yeah. this movie. You know you're not going to the Halloween movie to see a love story play out in front of you. As twisted and wild as it turns out to be, mm. it was very different tonally than what we have seen before. Yeah, like romantic love, familial love between Laurie and her granddaughter. There is a lot of love here. Did you find the love story believable? Was it earned? No, look, no. I didn't mm. because it seemed to happen really, really fast. However, grain of salt, when you meet someone that you didn't know you were looking for mm. and there's that really undenying connection, like that is pretty powerful. Yeah. I guess how this plays out in this movie, it feels almost instantaneous, like overnight. Mm. And Alison, played by Andy Matichak, is literally after four years of just not cruising along but finding her feet and finding her strength again and purpose. Yeah decides to upend her own life with this guy and yeah. make choices and make changes to how she lives her life just like a light switch. And yeah. that's a hard pill to swallow. Which you also would do as a young person, I guess, make some impulsive decisions. Of course. Also at the heart of this story is the question of is evil born or bred mm. or created? You know, that's been the thread, I think, between David Gordon Green's trilogy. Um, and Laurie has a line in this film, which I quite liked, I wrote down, where she says, there are two kinds of evil, the external and the internal. Mm. I found that interesting. She was so reflective in this movie. Maybe it was mm. because she was writing a memoir at the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, she always had these little pearls of like wisdom or insight <laughs> into the human psyche, didn't she? Dear diary, <laughs> is evil born or bred? <laughs> <laughs> and just like that, evil is born or bred. <laughs> 
You know, there are so many interesting ideas in this story. There are. Unfortunately, they're just not all that well executed in the screenplay. Whether it's, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen, there's four co-writers on this story, Mm. or this group just doesn't gel as well as they think they do. I'm not sure. It was a lot of pressure to get it right, that's for sure. Oh, It's a hard one to pull off. But I just want to call out some previous experience, okay, because Paul Brad Logan has not written many screenplays. His only other film was Manglehorn, starring Al Pacino, and it wasn't received all that well. Okay. Chris Bernier, the same, hasn't done any feature movies. So obviously these two have been brought on to refresh the team for the big game, but I don't think this is the film to find your feet in. No. Right? Can I build on that with saying this? Because it's so clear to me that David Gordon Green and Danny McBride and then these new sub-writers, right, the writing team, they did not have a three-film story arc mapped out before, you know, the first Halloween film in their trilogy. I think you might be right. Yeah, just like Disney didn't for the Star Wars sequels, which we won't go down on that tangent, but I think our (laughs) listeners will absolutely understand where we're coming from there. I get that you can explore different tonal avenues to keep the film feeling fresh for the audience, but each one of these films in this new Mm. trilogy have not gelled together and there's no real consistent tone no. or approach to connecting the elements of the film together like you referenced before, the motivations of the characters and stuff. If you stand Halloween, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends side by side mm. by side, they are mixed match of all sorts mm. of things. Yeah. And you, you wonder what are they actually been trying to say over the three films? <laughs> that, that goes back to my point about too many cooks in the kitchen. You know, Danny McBride, yeah. he does broad comedy very well. Um, And he's been a driving factor of getting this reboot going. So, of course, he was going to be on board. Mm. I'm not sure his writing style fits this kind of franchise. Mm. David Gordon Green is very passionate about this franchise and he does original films really, really well. Um, He's done Prince Avalanche with Paul Rudd, which was really wonderful. Mm -hmm. And as I said, he's got a huge passion for this franchise. I think if he had been the driving force behind it, a single-minded driving force, it might have been a lot better. I completely agree. And to pull back to your other point, too many cooks in the kitchen, too many ideas. And what resulted was something that was ultimately bold. Mm. Fucking hell. It was bold, but it was so clunky in its execution. It's Laurie and Michael's last stand, but it's not teased out or built up as that at all, which is really Mm. strange. It's telling a completely different story that just loosely connects Laurie in. Yes. I will say this though, okay, like they do know horror and the conventions quite well, they do. But the story and the build-up, as I said, is just not earned and it lets it down. Do you want to talk about the final fight scene just quickly before we move on to other things? Okay, we're not going to give anything away, obviously, but... Yeah, let's do it. The final fight scene is a visceral street brawl style. Oh, yeah. With some really cool nods to the original, some good fan service. Yes. And they end it, like they really end it. But as I said, it's not earned and that was a shame. This movie takes a long time to tell you what it's trying to do Mm. and then it tries to convince you what it's done and it's so like, what the fuck are they doing? Mm. Like how do these characters accept or or even see what's going on because it's so far-fetched? Well, this is an hour and 52-minute movie. We're probably an hour and – 35 minutes in Mm. before the fucking fight between Laurie and Michael Myers comes in. And it's absolutely shocking to me that both Laurie and Michael Myers are almost secondary characters to their own movie. Mm. Do do you know what I mean? It actually shocks me that they thought that that was what audiences wanted. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they're building it up as something completely different. 
Mm. And I, like I said, I like the ideas that they throw in there. I like the directions that they took it in. It just wasn't effectively yeah, built out. It wasn't earned. So the film, as we talked about, the film opens with this shocking scene and it really puts you on the edge of your seat straight away. And as we've also said, it leans more into supernatural aspects. What makes Michael so scary? <laughs> it doesn't take much to scare me, to be perfectly honest with <laughs> Did you. Did you throw your popcorn when you saw it? I've got a story. There were a few jump scares, right? Yeah. And I reacted to them all, no doubt. But I sat with our fellow podcast friends, Katie and Oti from For Your Reference Podcast. So please check them out. And Katie was so thoughtful after I yelped and jumped at one point. <laughs> and she and she reached over to comfort me only to scare me again. <laughs> I've done that before too. Fair enough. You have, you have. (laughs) I think Michael's so terrifying because you don't know what makes him tick. Yes. It seemed as though in this one they were implying that he gains his power from the evil that he does and that other people do around the town, right? Mm. Like a mangled energizer bunny who gets recharged by murders. (laughs) Oh, no. Right? Now, I'm literally replaying the movie in a completely different light after that statement. That is so funny. But do you think that's what they were trying to do? That was what they were trying to show? Yeah. I mean, maybe you found a bit more clarity in this than me because (laughs) I wasn't really sure what they were trying to do, to be honest. Okay. Well, I will say this, though. Cinematographer Michael Simmons has worked on all three films and he knows which angles to take to make Michael more sinister. Mm. He's really great at framing a shot that makes you, like, poop your panties. (laughs) Shit, my panties. I took an extra pair. I mean, look, this movie knows how to create an atmosphere. It knows how to build really beautiful sets, the lighting, the cinematography, like you said. It's probably the best-looking film, gorgeous film, to all three that David Gordon Green has Mm -hmm. brought us, like – it looks and feels like a really fucking scary movie and that's really enjoyable to watch. I I will agree with you on that point. There's some really great moments like close-ups of knives, slicing flesh, jump scares, gory heads exploding, um, the old pinning a person to the wall with a butcher knife. Like that's a classic, Michael, right? That is a classic. I love that moment. I have to call out the the car yard scene of Mm. kills was truly fucked yeah like i had to look away from the screen <laughs> yeah because i thought i don't know how much more i can stomach it but at the same time it was quite satisfying yeah. because you could tell how much fun they were having with what the audiences want and mm. that's to really mess with you yeah well this kind of changes my next statement then because i was going to say there's also some weird choices there's off-screen kills a couple of them yes yeah which i didn't understand i don't think they've taken much off-screen before Without then showing the result. Okay, this is me thinking off the top of my head. You know the whole thing around what scares you more could be what you don't see and it's what Mm. you hear. Do you think they were trying to lean into the whole Jaws thing where you don't see the shark but you're meant to be super, super scared by it and then when you (laughs) see it, it's like, oh, my God. Because it was an interesting choice that quite a few kills happened in your peripheral vision and not necessarily right in right in the well, tunnel vision. Not even in your peripheral vision. Like there was a kill that was set up where he came for this woman and you see her scream and then nothing. Yeah. And you don't even see the result afterwards. Like normally you'll see like a mangled body or, or something to show you what he did. But there wasn't, which I found was a bit strange because these were characters as well that were, that were set up. Yeah. You know what we didn't talk about in the story? 
the character development was pretty good, but so many characters were sidelined. Yes. They were just like, let's get rid of this person, this person, this person, this person. And not even through kills, they were just like not in it. That's really concerning for me because at no point should, not only at the end of a big franchise that you're trying to cover over 44 years, but the trilogy, like the end of the movie, to introduce like a significantly new character that no one's ever seen or heard Mm. of before is such a risk. And it's a bit of a slap in the face to fans because what that resulted in were, like you said, characters that you want more of to be sidelined just for a new narrative to be thrown into the mix just out of absolutely nowhere. And there were about a million people in Halloween Kills. (laughs) Like the whole town was out in force. (laughs) You'd expect at least a couple of them to be, you know, unless they were all killed. Did he get everyone in the town? (laughs) I don't know. He tries pretty damn hard to get everyone, that's for sure. We can't go by talking about John Carpenter's amazing score. It's iconic. It's instantly recognisable. It's like a muscle memory, isn't it? You instantly sit a little tenser in your seat and start to get nervous. Little beads of sweat form on your brow. If if it's you, your popcorn starts shaking. <laughs> oh, you know me too well. I agree. John Carpenter's score is undeniably brilliant and it is iconic, like you said. It is synonymous with Halloween, not just the Halloween films, but just Halloween as a time mm. of year. That's what you think about. That's what you hear in your head. And of course, it is synonymous with Michael Myers. When that sound starts to play on, yeah. you know something is going to go down yeah. and you just get so excited by it. That score sets you up for how you want to feel and it is just... I mean, there's nothing quite like it. And I love that he's scored all these films as well, which is amazing. They also end the film with a song called Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult, which I absolutely love. It's one of my favourite songs. So when that came on, I was like, yeah, and it put me in a good mood at the end because at the end I was kind of like, hmm. The end I felt was anticlimactic. So I was sitting there at the end going, right. Right. This is how they're <laughs> wrapping it up. Okay. I see. I see. It's very divisive. It's going to be very divisive. Oh, so divisive. I actually found the very, very end utterly bizarre. I could not believe what they had decided to do. I just found it so odd and it came out of nowhere. Mm. And I and I looked over to my friend Emily, who I went to see the film with, and we just looked so perplexed. We're like, what is, what's going yeah. on? It was so odd. I think they presumed that it would be imbued with more emotion than it was. Like it would be really meaningful yes. and people okay. would be sitting there going, oh, oh, wow, yeah, this is how it's wrapping up. But it it didn't. But then I, I was very grateful for Don't Fear the Reaper because it put me in a good mood when I was leaving <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I'm really glad that you walked out of the cinema with a spring in your step yep. after seeing Halloween ends. Who would have thought? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let's talk about the cast and their performances, beginning with the amazing queen, Jamie Lee Curtis, as Laurie Strode. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, she is so fantastic in this. She yeah. is fierce. She is strong. She is so commanding in every scene mm-hmm. that she shows up in. And there's absolutely no denying Jamie Lee Curtis, her connection with her character, having played Laurie Strode for 44 years. Yeah, she absolutely knows her inside and out. She is her. She's made the conscious decision to be happy, the character has in this film. And I think Jamie Lee Curtis plays that really well too. It's nice to see Mm. instead of seeing her so troubled all the time. Yeah. Interesting choice. Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis, she just imbues everything with so much depth and emotion. She's incredible. I have to call out this because it has to be one of the best lines Mm -hmm. from a movie this year where Laurie Strode says, 
show grief your fucking tits and say, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that yes. moment? I mean, how could you forget? <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's awesome. I mean, I just love seeing Laurie Strode grabbing life by the ball, so to speak, and just saying it how it is and taking control, yeah. which is uh, which is really great to see in this film. Alison, her granddaughter, is trying to do the same in a bit more of a messier fashion. As mm. we said, though, she's lost everything. She lost her mother, her father, her boyfriend. Um, she's got a creepy cop trying to date her for some reason. What was that about? Oh, I got so annoyed. He showed up like three or four times and I just wanted him to leave. I didn't understand the reason why they kept writing him back into the story. Was he in the other movies? Well, I don't remember him at all. I think he must have been someone she met within the last four years. But also the miscasting, like he was a creepy old dude. Yeah, he was so, he was really old. Uh, yeah. Anyway, and then she meets this guy, Corey, who's more her own age. He's a weird, shy outcast and um, she immediately wants to get in his pants. Yeah, she does. I mean, look, she finds her strength and purpose again in Corey and it was a new window, I guess, new path for this mm. character to explore. She finds it within Corey. I don't know if I want to go down that road. I like the strong mm. female presentation that's being put forward in this film you know Laurie and Alison are both really strong women fighting their way through trauma and grief and and surviving I don't think Corey is her savior no and I totally hear where you're coming from and I think I needed to be corrected on that for sure but she finds something in him that she's been working towards I guess and she's like all right grabs him and let's go a kindred spirit yeah, that's probably it, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, this new character, Corey, who's love interest for Alison, but he starts to drive a wedge between Laurie and Alison. Mm. This is another one of those development in the story that I didn't quite understand. Why did Laurie turn on him mm. when she was trying so hard to set them up? It was like one minute she was like, ooh, be a matchmaker, blind date, here you go. And then the next <laughs> minute she was like, don't want you around that boy. And it was like, What? Why? Yeah, we'll see. This is one of those things where the story goes that we can't really reveal that I was so unconvinced as to what Laurie Mm. had then seen in him or discovered. It was like a light switch that was like, how the hell Mm. is she changing her tune on this guy based on what? Like it was so ridiculous. For me, the only thing I could pinpoint is there was a scene where she comes home, Laurie comes home, and Alison is taking him upstairs. Then I was like, <laughs> that's a really old-fashioned notion. Oh, he's taking advantage of her. Get away. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, because you think she's the cool grandma. Yeah. But I guess in that sense she became quite like not so much. That's literally the only thing I could pinpoint it to. That's the moment I saw a shift and I was like, uh-huh, what? I guess it brings it back to the overarching theme of this film that... No ding ding without the wedding ring. (laughs) It's just clunky, isn't it? And that was just another example of how Laurie changed her tune about Corey. It just didn't feel right. Um, And then the other characters, which are barely worth talking about because they've been sidelined, is um, Deputy Frank, played by Will Patton, Mm. who was such a big character in Halloween Kills. And they're setting up this kind of flirtatious thing between him and Laurie. It was so awkward. But also I would have liked to have seen it develop. And they kind of tried to, but it was at the beginning of the film and then he comes back at the very end. I mean, all he wanted to do was see the cherry blossoms in Japan. (laughs) I know. And that's quite sweet. And he took fucking forever to come back at the end, might I say. The police force in Haddonfield leaves a lot to be desired. I mean, they got a call saying 
something was going down and it still took them fucking forever to get there. Yeah, I mean, I think they would absolutely fail when it came to an audit of the headcount of kills in the little small town <laughs> of Haddonfield, Illinois. Yeah, <laughs> something exactly. they should be proud of. They should really hustle a little yeah. faster to go to the rescue of people, that's for sure. And I was really disappointed that Lindsay, Kyle Richards' character, wasn't mm. in it more. She survived Halloween Kills. She's also a really strong female survivor. And the three of them together in equal billing would have been freaking amazing. I feel a bit cheated by the marketing because they position Kyle Richards and her character of Lindsay mm. being in the film more than you think. I mean, you spoke to her as part of the press junket. I did, yes. And she's amazing. She's wasted in this movie. I mean, I quite liked the scene she was in because you got to experience how Laurie and Lindsay have become really close friends, almost mm. besties, and she's cheering her on, that real confidant. Mm. But they don't do anything with it and it's really bizarre especially considering mm. her presence within Halloween Kills you think there was somewhere else for her to go and be involved and yeah. she's absolutely not in this movie it's odd she's one of the OG survivors with Laurie Strode you know she was the kid that Laurie was babysitting in the original film I just felt she was cheated and it's disappointing that she wasn't in it a bit more I'm thinking Lee that there are a couple of deleted scenes with Lindsay in them. You think? Because it, it doesn't quite make sense because she literally just falls off the face of Haddonfield at one point <laughs> in the movie yeah. and you never see her again. I'm thinking surely she showed up somewhere else and she's just ended up on the cutting room floor. That's the only way I can think about I it. I mean, also what it might have come down to is that Kyle was also filming on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and it might have been mm. conflicting. She might not have had much time. She did tell me that she was doing a full day of filming on Real Housewives and then having to fly to shoot her night scenes on Halloween end. So, I mean, it must have been really tough to juggle and maybe that comes down to it as well. Oh, see, that's just such a shame. I totally respect her need to survive, not work 24-7. Yeah. But that's a, a real shame in terms of collateral damage over a scheduling conflict, if you will. What do you think? Are we ready to wrap up our review of Halloween Ends? All right. It's time to end this take <laughs> on Halloween Ends. Okay. So Halloween Ends is a ballsy closing chapter to a franchise, if I've ever seen one. The path it chose to take the story and its characters is one that will divide audiences right down the middle. The pressures of closing out a 44-year franchise are felt in the writing to do something different, to challenge the Halloween legacy as we know it, with David Gordon Green showing the fans his fucking tits and saying, let's go. <laughs> but sadly, no one asked to see anyone's tits. So what transpires <laughs> is an unsolicited twist to the trajectory of the expected that will leave you wondering why I'm going to rate Halloween Ends to Popcorn Kernels. Well, Halloween Ends looks and feels more like what this iconic franchise should, but it still seems like it's been pieced together by too many different brains. This three-film series started with a bang, veered off the rails, and now they've tried to force the speeding train back on the tracks with some success, but not enough to create a cohesive trilogy that really honours Laurie Strode's saga and 13 films. Mm. I'm going to give it two out of five popcorn kernels as well. Well, there you go. Halloween Ends is in Australian cinemas from October 13, and we would really love to hear your take on this film. Tell us on our social channel. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, on to the news. Production is underway on Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes in Sydney at the recently renamed Disney Studios. Set for release in May 2024, it marks the fourth film in this modern series. We love the increasing trend of big budget Hollywood films finding their way down under to make movies. And this one is big. The production will receive 17 million Aussie dollars in support from the Australian government and funding through Screen New South Wales, made in New South Wales fund. Federal Minister for the Arts, Tony Burke, said that the film will provide more than 400 local jobs and inject more than 128 million Aussie dollars into the economy, which is fantastic. You're a fan of these films, aren't you? We've talked about this before. Yeah, no, I I really like the Planet of the Apes films. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. I like that it's filming down under, but I'm like, do we need another one? (laughs) We talked about this in our last episode, I feel, and I think we do need another one. I'm ready for the continuation of this story. All right. But you are not so much. No. All right, there were some shifts in the MCU release schedule this week. Marvel Studios announced delays to Avengers Secret Wars, Deadpool 3, Fantastic Four, and Blade, which we saw coming a mile away. We talked about this last episode. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we did. Okay, so let's break it down here. Where are they all going to land? Mahersha Ali's Blade has moved to September of 2024. It's back from its November 2023 original release date. The untitled Deadpool 3 is moving to November of 24, back from September of 24. And now Fantastic Four has been pushed back several months to February of 25, which was originally going to release in November of 24. And get this Avengers Secret Wars, the first of two Avengers films wrapping up the multiverse saga, has moved to May of 2026, originally going to be coming out in November of 25. Kevin Feige must be a ball of stress right now. (laughs) He's like, what have I done? I know. There's so many puzzle pieces that have to go in the right order. So when something gets stuffed up, it stuffs everything up. It's just got so damn big. The domino effect is just like absolutely wild. I wonder if it'll ever end. <laughs> you, you're already wanting it to end. No, I don't want it's it to end. It's barely begun. It's barely begun. I love the MCU. You know I do. We do. We love it. Big fans here. Speaking of MCU news, we discussed this on the podcast a few weeks ago, but it seems to have been confirmed that Harrison Ford will play General Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross in the upcoming Captain America New World Order film alongside... Anthony Mackie as Captain America, Sebastian Stan as Bucky Barnes, Florence Pugh and David Harbour as Yelena Belova, the new Black Widow, and Red Guardian, respectfully. Wyatt Russell as US Agent, Hannah John Kamen as Ghost. That's kind of cool. It's nice to be able to see her again after Ant-Man. 
and the Wasp, was yes, it? Yes, I loved her character. Ant-Man and the Wasp, yeah. Olga Kurilenko as Taskmaster and Julia Louis-Dreyfus as the shadowy Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. Oh, like probably the best name yeah. in the MCU <laughs> if you ask me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Ford steps into the role after the passing of William Hurt earlier this year. Hurt has mostly held the role of the senior military officer who is also Betty Ross's father since 2008's The Incredible Hulk. You know, I'm still salty that we haven't seen Betty Ross in the MCU. Have we? I don't think we have. Liv Tyler. No, she hasn't showed up. They gave Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow as the love interest for Hulk. And then they've kind of revisited a bit of a story, which I don't want to spoil, in She-Hulk. Have you seen the last episode of She-Hulk yet? Yes, I have. But I can't put that puzzle together. You missed the end credit scene then. Ah, Okay. All right. I've got to go back. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to spoil it. Not going to spoil it. Anyway. Okay. In the comics, General Thunderbolt Ross actually creates the Thunderbolts anti-hero team, which is made up of reformed supervillains akin to DC's The Suicide Squad. So we could also see him in that film, which is coming in 2024. Ah. There's also a comic book storyline that sees Ross turn into Red Hulk to combat Hulk. But as Mark Ruffalo has become Smart Hulk, that seems unlikely to play out. I'm not sure if Harrison Ford could turn into Red Hulk. Although I'd love to I see mean- it. So do I. <laughs> I want to see Harrison Ford as Red Hulk. Are you kidding me? That would be so fucking good. Yeah. Oh, dear. All right. Now, bear with us. One more bit of superhero news here. As Black Adam's release is just around the corner and everyone is frothing over an end credit scene that leaked from Dwayne Johnson's superhero flick, it is being hastily scrubbed from the internet, though, as we speak. Yeah, I didn't want to see it. So I didn't look it up, but I I do know generally what it's about. Uh But we're not one for spoilers, so we're not going to reveal what happens. But it does tease a setup to a long debated discussion about who is the strongest DC superhero. And look, it's no secret that Dwayne Johnson has said he wants to do a solo film and then do his big passion project, which is a Black Adam versus Superman story. Gosh. So tune in for our Black Adam review next week as we will see it in just a number of days. Lee, I think Mm. you're just mildly excited. I am vibrating off my chair right now. I'm so (laughs) excited. Category six, category six. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Guess what, Tim? We're getting a new Poirot film from director Kenneth Branagh called A Haunting in Venice, arriving in 2023. Branagh will once again star as Detective Hercule Poirot. I did not pronounce that well. (laughs) No, I could listen to you say that every day, all day. So based on Agatha Christie novels, it is set in World War II Venice on All Hallows' Eve. Now, the film follows another mystery inspired by Christie's Halloween party with the finally retired and living in self-imposed exile, Poirot reluctantly attending a seance at a haunted palazzo. When one of the guests is murdered, the former detective must once again find out who did it. Now, we have been here before and it's going to be another huge ensemble cast. At the moment, Mm. we've got the likes of Tina Fey, Jamie Dornan and Michelle Yeoh cast. Are you excited for this one? Look, I didn't like the death on the Nile. I thought it was a hot mess. Okay. But I'm still excited by it purely because of the list of actors that you just (laughs) revealed. Like Tina Fey in this sort of genre, gimme, gimme, gimme. Yeah, it's becoming like the DC versus Marvel, isn't it? Pro-Ro versus (laughs) Blanc. Yes, the (laughs) Knives Out Out. uh, series. That's right. Oh, gosh. I wonder who will come out on top. 
In some of the best casting news of recent years, Euphoria and the White Lotus breakout star Sydney Sweeney has been cast in a Barbarella movie remake. This is crazy. Now, Jane Fonda, as we all know, played the character in the 1968 original that was created by Jean-Claude Forrest and first appeared in the 1962 French graphic magazine. Barbarella is a female mercenary roaming the universe in a distant future, taking on various missions. Now, look, I don't like to talk about actors' bodies too much, but I feel like she's cast especially for this role because she's got quite a curvaceous body yeah and that's a big deal the sex appeal is a big deal in this character as far as i understand is that right yes that that's my understanding as well i mean jane fonda was a sex symbol sex icon in the 60s but she's also an incredible actor yes she really is an incredible actor i think she's been nominated for emmy awards for her roles in euphoria is that correct yes uh has she won i don't think she's won but she's certainly been nominated a few times yeah no i don't think she's won but Yeah, she has been nominated and deservedly so. Now, there's no further information on the project with Sony yet to hire a writer or director, but I am keen to see how this one plays out, Yep, to be perfectly honest with you. It has my attention. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is coming to Netflix on December 9 after a limited release in theatres in November. The celebrated director's passion project is a stop-motion animated film with del Toro writing, producing and directing. This brand new version of the classic children's tale about a puppet who wants to be a real live boy comes only months after Disney's live action remake of their 1940 animated classic from director Robert Zemeckis. Now that film absolutely divided audiences and you can check out our review of Disney's Pinocchio wherever you get your podcasts and hear what Lee and I thought about that situation. Yeah, we had some thoughts about it. We had a few thoughts. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> the voice cast of this new version, though, is quite impressive with Ewan McGregor as Cricket, David Bradley as Geppetto, Gregory Mann as Pinocchio, um, with Finn Wolfhard, Kate Blanchett, John Turturro, Ron Perlman, Tim Blake Nelson, Bern Gorman, Christoph Waltz, and Tilda Swinton, all rounding out this amazing cast. I mean, they're up against the new Poirot movie, the new Knives Out from an ensemble perspective. This is quite (laughs) insane, isn't it? What a lineup! Now, we are finishing up today's episode with some absolutely tragic news. Theatre and screen icon Angela Lansbury died this week, aged 96. Yeah, Lansbury was a three-time Oscar nominee and starred in films like The Gaslight, The Picture of Dorian Gray, and opposite Frank Sinatra in The Manchurian Candidate. She starred in several Disney films, also from Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Oh, my God, that's one of my favourites. Oh, I love it. Recently watched it too. Gosh, it's aged well. There's just something so... Oh, I just love that movie so much. Actually, speaking (laughs) of Death on the Nile... I actually saw the original version of that on TV just the other night and she's in that too. Oh, is it any good? Um, I didn't watch the whole thing. Oh, okay. Fair <laughs> enough. But you got a taste of it. Yeah. I'll allow it. Yeah. <laughs> she also voiced Mrs. Potts in Beauty and the Beast and more recently was in Mary Poppins Returns. But she will likely be known to most as Jessica Fletcher Mm. from the absolutely classic TV series Murder, She Wrote, which ran for nine seasons over 12 years. Were you a fan of that show? Yeah, I was actually. Yeah. 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 I mean, so many episodes. I dipped in and out of it when it was on daytime TV and stuff. And she's just so so charismatic, so brilliant, so fun in that show. She really, really is. It's a big loss for the world. Indeed. Rest in peace, Angela Lansbury. Now, Lee, I think that about wraps it up for another jam-packed episode of Popcorn Podcast. I think you might be right. We covered Halloween Ends, which is in Australian cinemas from October 13. 
And as always, friends, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Come and join in the conversation. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Popcorn Podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.